My mom told me that when we were young, we used to live in an apartment, just us, and she woke up in the middle of the night while it was pouring rain because she heard a loud noise. She went to the front door and looked through the peephole to see if she could see what was making the noise. There was a person standing there facing the door, hood over their head, repeating over and over again, Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. While working at Jimmy John's, I did bike delivery and just got back from a delivery when this lady was walking in the store behind me. She asked for a co-worker, by first and last name. He was working but out on delivery, which we explained to her. Deliveries don't take long, so he would return within five minutes. She said that was fine and to let him know his mom stopped by. And then she left. My co-worker came back five minutes later and after we told him about his mom stopping by to which he replied, My mom died when I was three. We were all a little weirded out. This wasn't his hometown, which was five hours away. And going on nine years later, we never seen or heard about this lady. Again. My grandfather told me this story about how one time he was sitting in a chair in front of the house when he heard his wife repeatedly calling him from inside the house. The thing is, my grandfather passed away a few years before that, but he told me the voice was so pressing that he actually got up to look inside the house, and as soon as he got inside he heard a loud crash behind him and turned around to see that the chair that he had been sitting in moments ago had been crushed by the cast iron gutter that fell on it. If he didn't come inside the house when he did, he probably would have been seriously injured. I don't know if it's paranormal or not, but every time I think about it it sends chills down my spine. An old cartoon used to say, Strange things happened in the middle of nowhere. A guy that used to be my neighbor was a coyote in Mexico. One time he and his partner were escorting a group of seven people consisting of three women and four men across the border from Mexico to the United States in the late 1990s. They were all instructed to wear khaki or brown clothing. Once they all were dressed, they went on their trip. It was getting dark and they had reached a makeshift checkpoint rest spot to get some sleep and continue in the very early morning. It was hidden under a large mountain, underneath some bushes and trees. As they were all resting, the coyote noticed one of the women stand up and go into the bushes. He figured that she had to use the restroom or something. The other coyote noticed her and said, Who was that? Then it hit him. The woman wasn't wearing khaki colors. She's wearing a pink top and blue jeans and white shoes with pink diagonal stripes and a blue backpack. They both get up and begin following her because they think this woman had stolen from the group. As they follow her, my ex-neighbor carries a cane through the bushes against the ground to mark a trail back. As they follow her, they spot the woman through some desert foliage. 
They reached to where they saw her and arrived to a hill they went down with some large rocks. In between some of the rocks, they found a pile of bones facing down, wearing the woman's clothing, with the blue backpack in her hand. Then they heard, No me toques, a woman's voice with a somber tone, which translates to, Don't touch me. Both of them followed the trail they left behind to the group and instructed them all that they had to leave. Something that happens a lot out there is people get injuries and they can't carry themselves and they're just left to die out there with the hopes that border police will find them. There's a lot of weird paranormal stories that come from people who cross the border from Mexico to the United States. When I was six, my family lived in Germany. My father was in the army. In the middle of the night on July 6th, 1980, I walked into my parents' bedroom and said, Uncle Derry said I'm sorry and I love you. My parents figured I was just having a dream. A few minutes later, the phone rang. It was my grandfather calling from the US to tell my dad that his brother had just taken his own life. Our family cat was quite old and pretty sick. My sister was leaving the country for like six months. The cat bonded with her as a kitten and she picked him up the day that she left and told him to wait for her to come home. He unfortunately passed a month later. For the next five months, he haunted that house. You'd hear him run up and down the stairs push open doors. It was like he was still there. This happened until my sister came home, and then it happened once more for her, and that was that. The little guy waited. Okay, so this happened when I was younger, six or seven years old. I was in bed trying to sleep when I shifted my position and laid on my back. I couldn't sleep, so I looked around my room, trying to make my eyes tired at least. When I got to looking at the door, I saw a man about six feet tall holding hands with a small child. They both looked like the black and white static on TV when the channel was unavailable. They just stood there, and after like 30 seconds, the big one, I could tell because the voice was deep, asked for help. Where is she? I didn't know what he was talking about, so I stared at them quietly. After two minutes, they left. They walked away, not just vanishing. And then, an hour or so after they left, a woman of the same static look stood in front of my door. All she said was, Have you seen them? Of course I thought she was talking about the two I saw earlier, so I slowly pointed in the direction they went. I could tell that she turned her head that way, and then she walked away. I was walking in the parking lot of the mall with my ex-girlfriend, and it was about 7pm, but it was already dark out. I forgot something in the car, and we were only about 30 feet from the side entrance of the mall, so I told her I'd meet her inside. As I'm walking back to the car, 
I hear two guys come up from out of nowhere and ask her if they can borrow her cell phone. Something didn't feel right, so I rushed back over to her and grabbed her hand so we could head into the mall. Sure enough, about two weeks later, I saw those same two guys on the local news channel because they were arrested for attempted kidnapping of two young women. The creepiest encounter by far in my life has been during my long nursing career, which was with a patient that, upon introducing myself as his nurse, he whipped out a stack of Polaroid photos of a woman bound and gagged, some bruised and bleeding, all half-naked. He proudly told me about being in a motorcycle gang and all these women were house stock, and anyone could fuck them. I was a young nurse, but knew not to give him the satisfaction of my disgust. I just gave him his meds and walked out of the room. His toothless cackle still makes me sick. Some years ago, I went to a 7-Eleven with my boyfriend. He went to the falafel place next door while I picked up some snacks. I was just leaving the 7-Eleven when a strange man asked me what I was doing that night. I said, um, hanging with my boyfriend. He said, want to come to a Halloween party with me instead? I was nervous and this caught me off guard, so I kind of nervously laughed and said no thank you, and walked away from him into the falafel place next door. I told my boyfriend about it and stuck close to him leaving the falafel place. As we were walking back to my boyfriend's place, I saw the stranger driving away in a white van. A few weeks later, I saw him on the bus and pretended not to notice him. Luckily, he didn't seem to notice me, or much around him at all. He seemed to be on drugs and he was banging on the bus window and muttering to himself. It was around five to seven years ago. My cousin's family from the city went and visited our house and stayed overnight. Me and my family live in the countryside, so our village, though suburban-like, is surrounded by vegetation. Ten years ago, though, the land where my village currently is and used to be a huge sugar plantation like 200 kilometers across. We finished having dinner and I invited my cousin, who was a bit younger than me, for a walk outside. This was around 8pm. By the end of our little stroll around the village, I looked up at the sky to be greeted by thick clouds blocking out the stars. That's when I noticed something strange. Hovering lower than the clouds that were already low in the sky was this black thing. It wasn't a hole in the clouds revealing the night sky above it. It was very noticeably a thing. It was like the size of a fighter jet, but solid black. It wasn't moving at all, just hovering. It only caught my attention when I looked up because I couldn't hear anything. It didn't make a sound at all. Like, zero. The weirdest part of it was that it seemed to know that people on the ground could look at it. 
and it made it so that it was so hard to see and make out what it really was. Sounds strange, I know. What I mean is that when you look at it head on, it's like it's trying to change its shape subtly so your brain has a hard time understanding the nature of the object. But when you have the object in your periphery, it is as still as an image. It's like it doesn't want your eyes to focus on the object. I called the attention of my cousin to the blackest object I've ever seen and he just didn't understand it too. Like when you see something in the sky like a plane or a bird and you understand it. Your brain recognizes it even if it's just glancing at that thing. But this, stare at it for as long as you like. It doesn't want you to figure it out. It was just black. When I was eight, I was deep in the woods at my uncle's house. The parents went out and the five kids, four or fourteen, stayed home. We were playing a game of hide and seek in the house with no lights on. There weren't street lights or anything, so you couldn't see anything at all. Base was in the living room and I hid in the living room so I could quickly get to base. My brother, Eleven, was it. He was doing his countdown and I was hiding just a couple of feet from him when a lightning strike drew our attention to the window. We were both shocked to see the outline of a man at the window trying to see in. On the next lightning strike, the guy was starting to walk to the front door. My brother, Ben, quickly ran to lock the front door. I know, I know, but it was a different time and place. And got there right before the guy started shaking the handle. Ben started flipping on the lights, presumably so the guy would know people were home and he'd leave. And he yelled for me to lock the other doors. I ran and locked the kitchen door and then the sliding glass door at the back of the house. As I was locking that door, the guy was suddenly there, standing there on the other side of the glass. I was frozen, but Ben calmly told me to close the curtain and to focus on his voice and I did what he said. My uncle has guns, but his son was gone on a hunting trip, so all we could find was a BB gun that looked like a real rifle. Ben stepped out onto the porch with it to try to make the guy believe that we were armed. They constantly had phone issues. This is going way back, but they had a party line, and we couldn't get the phone to work to make a call. We were trying to call someone on my uncle's CB radio, but we weren't getting anyone. Eventually, an older cousin, who was only like 15 himself, showed up and we thought an actual adult was there and we had been saved. That calmed us down and we went back to normal, I guess. I'm not sure if I've ever had a creepier moment than looking up at the window and seeing someone on the other side. Okay, so this happened when I was around 9 years old. I'm 25 now and it's something I will never forget. It gives me goosebumps to this day. I live in a terraced house, four houses combined, and my neighbors and I have our own little patio. 
There's a small road 10 meters from my yard where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my small yard and the patio from the road. I live in a pretty crowded area, with several of those terraced houses spread across in my neighborhood, and seeing people walk on the road is pretty normal for me. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was nine, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mom got home from work. I live maybe 50 meters away from school, so my mom figured I was mature enough to be home alone for around an hour before she got home. This one day, I got home from school. I did the usual thing, which was to make sure that I locked the front door and double-checked that the back door leading to the patio was also locked. I was nine, and being home alone was a little scary, even though it was the middle of the day and only for one hour. I then rushed to my room upstairs to play as much PlayStation as possible before my mom came home and made me do my homework. While playing, I heard this noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio, with a view to the road I told you about before. It was kind of like the sound of a cat, but my cat had been missing for a little over three months. Hope sparked and I thought, oh my god. Did he finally come back? I ran downstairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me goosebumps just telling you about this. There was a guy standing on my patio, a tall man with black hair covering half of his eyes, making him look like a male version of the ring woman or something. I could hear him making high-pitched sounds, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this, eventually snapping out of it and screamed so loud that the man must have heard it. He didn't react. He kept on eating from the ashtray. I ran upstairs to my room, locked the door, and called my mom, who then called the cops. I never have been more terrified in my life, laying in bed under my sheets, shivering from fear, as I hear these creepy high-pitched noises from the guy eating cigarettes stomped from the ashtray on my patio. I kind of blacked out for a moment, because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them talking to the guy saying stuff like, what are you doing? Get over here or we'll come down and arrest you, and so on. He didn't respond but the high-pitched sounds was more frequent and louder. I decided to look through the window, feeling safe now that the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and a woman. I did not see the creepy man, however, because he was standing directly one story under me and out of my field of view. The police jumped the fence and I remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything that I've ever heard before. He charged the female police officer with full force. He then knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased the guy, leaving him shaking on the ground, screaming still. The policeman struggled to keep him on the ground while putting handcuffs on him, but eventually made it. After a while, he managed to wake up the female police officer, who seemed to be not too badly hurt. He hauled her back up and an ambulance, and then... He sees me standing in the window above him. The expression on my face must have been something else, because he just looked at me and said, 
I sure as hell hope you didn't see all that. I started to cry. But this time, the neighbors started to arrive wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbors, an elderly woman, made me come down and she took care of me until my mom came back home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what had happened. Now, this is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male officer came back later that night and sat down with me and talked to my mom. He explained that the guy on my patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped a facility where mentally challenged people lived, locating around 5 kilometers from where I live. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house five years ago, but he had been forced to move out when his mom, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought that he would find his mom in my house. He missed the routines and he missed living there with his mom. The police had to move him from the house that time five years ago because he was extremely strong. From what I heard, he had extreme tensions in the body because of the autism making his muscles grow stronger and stronger throughout the years. This was the reason he reacted in the way he did when the police came this day. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure that this would never happen again. He promised me it wouldn't. After a few sleepless nights, my life got back to normal. The years went by and the guy didn't come back. Until one year ago. At this time, my mom and dad had moved out, and I bought the house from them, and I'm still living there today. I was enjoying my morning coffee on the patio when I see this random guy stopping on the road by my fence. He just stands there, looking at me. I looked at him and gave him a nod, and then I hear the high-pitched noises. Holy shit, it's him. His hair had turned gray, but... The high-pitched sounds made me realize. My heart started racing and I instantly remembered the reason why he was back. I realized that he must have managed to escape again, because I kept my cool a bit longer than when I was nine. I started to realize how sorry I felt for the guy. Sixteen years later and he was back to look for his mom. I decided to carefully ask him if he wanted to come down to the patio. He instantly jumped the fence and I started to think that he would knock me out like he did the police officer. He didn't. He smiled. He just looked at me and smiled. I offered for him to sit down and he didn't respond. I offered for him to come inside and he started laughing. We went inside and his face lit up. Pure joy. He was home. It reminded him of the life that he had with his mom. It almost made me tear up. All of a sudden, he sat down on my couch and switched on the TV and turned it directly to the cartoons. I observed him for a while, and he was just completely focused on the cartoons. I just wanted him to enjoy the moment, so I didn't say anything to him. I realized that I had to call the facility to let them know. The caretakers arrived ten minutes later. After a lot of convincing, he got back up, crying, and they went back to the facility. I called the facility two days later, and we made a deal. His name is Tom, and I now consider Tom a friend. 
Every Sunday from the day he returned, Tom and his caretakers visited me to watch cartoons. They say it's the highlight of his week. It makes my heart warm. Now, for several years, my thoughts were, let's not meet, guy on my patio eating from the ashtray. Now my thoughts are, let's meet every Sunday to watch cartoons. My friend... My grandmother surrounded herself with beautiful things. She was a production designer in old Hollywood, and her little house looked the part. Silk, crystal, and grand staircases fit for the stars. She died when I was young, so I got to know her through her movies. Big, melodramatic romances from the golden era. I loved them all. I could trace her touch in every scene. Always the woman in her movies glowed like they carried their own light. She carried that light, raising my mother on her own, far from home, far from the life that she had made in California. It's no wonder I grew up wanting to work in film. My mother laughed when I said I wanted to move to Los Angeles. My grandmother never liked to talk about the old days, but she always warned. There's nothing good waiting for you in Hollywood. Before I left, my mother gave me a box of my grandmother's things from her movie days. Stolen props, marked up scripts, photos from lavish parties, and stacks of letters. But it was the letters. I put off reading them, unsure whether my grandmother would want me to read them. But as the honeymoon of LA faded and the loneliness set in, I wondered whether she struggled the same way. So I opened them. I found something much stranger inside. These are some of the following letters from a woman named Vera. Apparently a close friend of my grandmother. I asked my mother about her, but she never heard of her name. From what I can tell, she was an architect living in Hollywood during the golden era. She was married to the successful film director. I can't find any records of her after the dates on these letters. March 23rd, 1947. May. The site is even more beautiful in the spring. The wildflowers are all bloom. The main houses rise out of the treetops like a cathedral. I doubted Hugh when he suggested we move so far from the city. Now I see this place for the Eden it is. Even the incentant hammering of the workers cannot detract from the tranquility. Hugh returns tomorrow from his yearly pilgrimage home. One day, I'll convince him no amount of drunken carousowing could scare me off at this point. He's certainly seen the trouble you and I get into. Yet he insists he must go alone to recharge his creativity. Truly, I think he leaves in case the reviews are unfavorable. But as always, the picture is a triumph. Every soul in the theater was positively enchanted. If he loves me half as much as the people love his films, I'm a lucky woman instead. We must have you out to the house soon. We want this place to be a destination for all lovers of beauty. I'll need your magic in turning these bare halls into... Shangri-La, your friend, Vera, March 29th, 1947. Dearest May, I'm afraid that we have to postpone your visit. There's been an accident, a dreadful thing. One of the young workers was found behind the guest house, battered and terribly concussed. Poor boy looked like he had wandered into the woods at night, covered in burrs and bristles with thorns. 
He's in the hospital in town, but a shadow remains over the site. A visit should wait for brighter times. I certainly hope to see you for our party on the 12th. A strange thought. I know I saw the boy leaving with the other workers the evening before. He must have come back in the dark and fell into the site. It's strange living on such large and untamed land. All I heard last night was the wind in the trees. He's lucky we found him when we did. I insist that the workers slow down, proceed more carefully, but they seem eager to complete the build. A very superstitious bunch. I only hope that they aren't so hasty that the roof falls in when they leave. We plan on staying here a long, long time. Throw a pinch of salt for me. Vera. April 6th, 1947. Darling May. I am at my wit's end. Construction is nearly complete, and today I walked down to the site to find the workers tearing down my gazebo. They insist Hugh changed the plans overnight. He has some mad idea about a centerpiece for the garden. An enormous moon gate. It makes no sense. Aesthetically or practically. I mean, you ought to see it. He scribbled over my blueprints like a man possessed. I've never met someone both so erratic and so particular. He was hosting the lumber himself, shouting at workers to move stones here and there. If this is how he operates on his pictures, I'm glad you've not had the fortune of working with him. Even as I'm writing this, I see him out in the garden, tying flowers and vines to his haphazard structure, as if foliage will improve that monstrosity. I can't say how thrilled I am to see him next weekend. This house needs a dose of sanity. All my love from the pagan wilds. Vera. April 14th, 1947. May. What more can be said? I can't tell you how much I relished having you out for the weekend. As ever, you leave me revitalized. Such a shame the party ended the way it did. I'm so grateful to have you to help with the aftermath. I only hope it does not darken your memory of the place. The young starlet is recovering at Queen of Angela's Hospital. We were able to send word to the poor girl's family back east, and her escort from the party seemed more committed to her care. I do not know the extent of the damage, but I spoke to the surgeon at the hospital. He referred us to a specialist who helps men disfigured from the war. A mask maker. Can you imagine? I am sick with guilt. I fear her careers and pictures may be over before it began. Such a beauty. How did it happen? I must blame myself as host. I should have been watching the girl, counting her drinks. But Hugh insisted we keep the lights low so we could see the stars. That only made it easier for her to slip away. Did she get lost? Fall into glass? I searched the ghastly scene but saw nothing that could cause such wounds. I feel uneasy in this house. All our guests were accounted for and the girl will not speak about the accident. Did a stranger slip into the parlor? The police cleared the workers but our presence here is no secret. We are the only lights for miles. I fear being this far in the wilderness. I shall check on the locks again tonight. Thinking of you. Vera. April 19th, 1947. I so appreciate your last letter. I keep it in my pocket throughout the day. A little totem of strength in a strange land. I fear I have been too hard on Hugh. It's easy, comforting even, to believe in his stony stoicism. 
but I know he's troubled. There has been a specter over us since the party. It was in the garden last night. I woke in the dark and found him missing. I thought it was a stranger at first, standing under the moon gate, watching him from the window. I had the strangest sensation. I knew it was you, his broad frame, his pajamas, but it was like looking at something completely foreign. He was sleepwalking, the poor baby. He must have been there for hours. He was shivering, his clothes soaked with dew. I led him back to the house where he finally woke up. He clung to me like I pulled him off of a sinking ship. I wish he had someone he felt he could talk to. Yours, Vera. April 23rd, 1947. May. It seems I spoke too soon. I have been trying with you and I thought we were making progress. Imagine my surprise when I step into my kitchen last night for a glass of water and find that starlet from the party standing barefoot in the dark, staring at me. I am at an utter loss. Her injuries must have been greatly exaggerated, as she looked perfectly radiant. You should have seen the way that she looked at me, daring me to speak. She might as well have been laughing in my face. I don't know what to do, May. We all know that he had a pennant for young actresses, but this is beyond the pale. In our own house? I'm only writing this to keep me from cracking up completely. I wish you were here. I've packed a bag. He wasn't in bed, not that I could bear to see him. No doubt he's in the garden. The girl can fetch him, or let him freeze. I don't care anymore. I'm driving to you tonight. Vera. May 4th. 1947. Dearest, where to begin? When I went back to the house, I didn't expect it to be easy. You know, Hugh. He would sooner pluck out his eyes than admit a mistake. But I at least expected a quiet house in which we could stew and fight and eventually make up, as always. I came back to a midnight bacchanal. The halls were packed, spilled out onto the lawn. Men and women I'd never seen ravenous and wine drunk. I could hear the roar of laughter before the house was in view. All the doors and windows were open, the rain pouring in. This was a particularly libertine bunch, no doubt from Hugh's underground days. Tattered suits, torn cocktail dresses, and masks. Oh, the masks. Wood and clay and wet leaves molded into monstrous faces, sneering and cackling. I wanted to tear them apart, the way that they grabbed at me as I went through searching for Hugh. I found him locked away in our bedroom, staring out at the chaos in the garden below. I was ready to kill him for this, for the girl, for everything. Oh, May. I just don't know. Something about him that night. As soon as he turned, I saw him. The man I met all those years ago. It was I had been living with his ghost. And here he was, resurrected. He was so tender, so human. I came ready to fight, but all the rage and resentment just melted away at his touch. I will spare you the details, but we were alive together last night in a way that we had not been in years. Love is a strange thing. Our house may be a mess, but for once my heart is clear. As always, Vera. May 8th, 1947. My guiding light. You were right. 
You are always right. I've been alone these days since the hellish masquerade, trying to put our house back in order. The wilderness has taken a foothold, vines growing out of cracks in the plaster. You had left the first morning. I thought to work on his ever-growing garden. After the second day, I wondered if he had gone for good. After missing for three days, he came shambling out of the woods, looking like all hell. He didn't say a word, just went to the kitchen and ate like a starving beast. He looked just like the worker boy, covered in barbels and thorns. He didn't even acknowledge me until I tried to call a doctor. He won't speak of where he went. Worse, he doesn't remember the night of the Bacchanal. He doesn't remember our reconciliation. Worse yet, I believe him. I will gather the rest of my things. There's nothing left for me here. Vera May 11th, 1947 May I hope by writing this, I can discover some shred of sanity in this past 24 hours. Or failing that, wake myself up from this nightmare. I fell asleep late after Hugh returned, exhausted from packing and fighting with my mute husband. I woke up with light in my eyes, not from the sun, but from an enormous fire raging in the garden. I saw Hugh. He was standing beneath the moon gate, a can of kerosene in hand. The gate was a blustering inferno, threatening to topple inward. All around him were figures, just outside the fire, mostly young women the starlet among them, circling the gate, kept at bay by the flames. It looked like they wanted to eat him alive. I saw him look to the house, to my window. I don't know if he could see me with all the smoke in his eyes, but his gaze told me everything. I did not hesitate. I grabbed only what I needed and ran from the house, slipped out the side door and ran out of view of the garden, into the drive. I found the car choked with vines as if it had been rusting in the woods for decades. I went to try the door, but I saw something in the firelight. There was something in the back seat. I say something because, well, it cut the silhouette of a hulking man. It looked more like something you dig out of the earth. Something knotted and poisonous you dig out of the roots of a garden and throw away. I ran through the woods, I don't know how far. I ran until the pillar of smoke was just a faint trail over the moon. Then I rejoined the road, and I walked all the way into town. I've been staying with an elderly couple we met a while while moving in. The husband is a retired physician, and the wife a school teacher. You would like them. I wanted to leave, to run all the way to you, but I fell ill. Almost as soon as I left the grounds, something gripped my inside and wouldn't let go. I barely remember knocking on the doors in town. My head was swimming, so... The doctor tells me that I am pregnant, a parting gift from you. I have been in and out of sleep for a few days. I have had the strangest dreams. I sent men to search for Hugh and the girls. There is nothing out there but the burned out skeleton of our house, wildflowers already growing over the ash. Please come get me. I want to come home. Love, Vera. When I showed my mother these letters, she didn't speak for a long time. Finally, she shared another memory about my grandmother, one nearly forgotten. My mother was very sick as a baby. My grandmother took her everywhere, but nothing would help. 
they were sure that they would lose her. And finally, according to my grandmother, Auntie V figured out what to do. Auntie V went back to the woods to make you better. My mother has no memory of Auntie V. She doesn't like to talk about the letters or that era of my grandmother's life. Whenever I ask, she simply says, whatever happened, they did it for us. Let's be grateful and leave the rest behind. There's some sense in that, but it doesn't help me much lately, as I find myself waking up with soil on my feet and rumbles in my hair. Doesn't help as the dreams become more frequent. Dreams of murmuring flowers and tangled skin, of muddy masks and stolen faces and a great gate rising in the woods. If you've looked in the mirror today, it might already be too late. No, mirrors are not a paranormal portal to the dark dimension. They're mirrors that reflect light. The issue is when you think you're looking into a mirror that isn't really there. Mirrors in your home? Probably fine. Dirty mirrors with smudges on? Probably fine. Mirrors on a wall where you know what's on the other side? Definitely fine. But if you see a clean mirror in public, on a wall that you can't get behind, stay away from it. Do not look at it. Do not look at the thing pretending to be you. That is not you. I can't say for certain who is orchestrating this, nor do I know why business and public bathrooms are agreeing to it, but more and more establishments are building identical bathrooms next to existing ones. I know this because I am one of the contractors who keeps being hired for this. I have built three bathrooms so far, each of which were told to pay meticulous attention to detail and to build an exact mirror image of an existing bathroom. At first, it didn't seem too strange. The places probably just needed space for more toilets. Perhaps they were getting a lot of customers. The first job was a generic bathroom restroom in my local town center. The second job was in a restaurant a couple of miles away. The third was for a university of a neighboring city. The fact that each of these separate and very different locations had the exact same request was unsettling, but it was money. Why wouldn't we accept? A few days into the third contract, I was in my local town center, purchasing supplies for the job. I needed to use the bathroom, so I made my way to the public ones. They're a little hidden through an alleyway, the type you definitely wouldn't use at night. When I got there, I noticed that the bathroom I had helped build was simply not there. They had filled the doorway back in with bricks and cement. It was as if it was never there. I figured that they had realized that having two identical bathrooms was silly. They had probably got some people in the knockdown they shared wall between them to turn it into one larger bathroom facility. But no. Once I was standing inside, it was the exact same size as before. The shared wall, the one with the mirror across, was still there. They had hardly even cleaned the place up. It was just as filthy as ever. All except for the mirror. The mirror was crystal clear didn't make sense. This would indicate a terrible, terrible job had been done. 
However, we had been paid on time and didn't receive any complaints. As far as my team and I were aware, we did everything perfectly fine. I couldn't understand why they would hide it away, but it wasn't my job to understand. We got paid, and it's up to the client what they do with the work once we leave. We clicked 50% of the payment up front and the other 50 when completed. Once we were done with the third contract, we had to chase up with the restaurant. They still had not paid us on the second half and hadn't been in contact to tell us why. I made my way down the same day we had completed the university bathroom. The restaurant wasn't too busy and it's not a very popular place. I had been surprised when they needed double the bathroom capacity. As I made my way to the counter, I noticed that the new restroom we had built was not labeled as such. The door was still there and they had not hidden it like the public bathroom, but a sign on it read, Supply Closet, Staff Only. Nobody was at the counter yet, no staff were in sight, just two customers who weren't even paying attention to me. So I pushed the door gently open and it was not a supply closet, it was the bathroom that we had built. I stepped in slowly, something about the whole situation felt odd. This was the second place trying to hide our work. As I stepped into the center of the room and looked towards the mirror, I noticed no reflection. I stepped slowly towards the sinks and stood in front of them, staring. It was as if it was waiting to see me, but I wasn't there. I reached out and my hand went right through. There was no mirror here at all. This was a cutout into the next room. For some reason, I felt that I had to prove that to myself. As I climbed through the original bathroom, I stood facing away from the mirror. The only explanation was, again, perhaps that they had decided to knock down the shared wall to simply expand the room. I figured they must only be halfway finished. This explanation was short-lived as I turned back around and saw my reflection looking back at me. By this point, confused was an understatement. I wasn't scared either. I was unsettled, but more than anything I just didn't understand what was going on. I reached out and sure enough, my hand met my reflection. At this point, I began to wonder whether the mirror was slide away for any reason, like a secret passage between the rooms. That was until I realized my hand hadn't felt the cold touch of the mirror's surface, but the warm and soft feeling of a, another person's hand. My face dropped, my eyes glazed over with fear. I don't know how terrified I looked because my reflection had stopped copying me. He smiled. His hands clasped around mine as I tried to pull away. Our fingers were interlocked as he began to slowly climb through. I truly think I'd have been done for had it not been for the door swinging open at that point. Oh hey, I thought I saw you come in. You're here because we didn't pay you for the other half, right? My reflection returned to normal, and I backed away from the mirror. My heart was beating out of my chest and I couldn't take my gaze off of it. You like the mirror? I wasn't able to look at him as he continued to speak to me. We didn't want the new bathroom. I can't really get into the details about why we got it. But we were forced to and threatened by a third party. They even gave us the money to pay you. Maybe it's some legal loophole for them to get a tax write-off or somehow. I won't pretend to understand it. 
I was able to find the words somewhere in my head. So, uh, you have the money. Well, that's the thing. We were already in debt. Business hasn't been great. We spent it all. But we will get you the money, I promise. It's okay. Keep it. I walked out of there without turning back, despite the fact that I was pretty sure I could hear the manager shouting at me. I do not believe these things in the mirrors to be human. I don't know how, and I don't know why, but someone is trying extremely hard to allow these to mimic us without being noticed. Right there, in front of your eyes, something pretending to be you, and you wouldn't even bat an eye. For whatever reason, it is important that they be allowed to copy people, and this is the best way that they could come up with. So next time you find yourself in front of a spotlessly clean mirror, don't touch it. They don't like to be noticed. My wife is in love with Squishmallows. For those of you who don't know, they're basically these pillow-stuffed animal inventions that come in different designs, resembling animals and aliens, plants and mushrooms with cute faces and little backstories for each one. They are stuffed and sewn together with a proprietary material that is especially soft and plush. Some people get really obsessed with them and they have been compared with times to the Beanie Babies or other very popular, trendy novelty items. People resell them at a ridiculous profit because when someone wants a specific Squishmallow, they're often willing to pay top dollar for it. My wife, Christine, has 30 of them stacked on a shelf in our living room, in various designs and shapes and colors and sizes, but some people have entire rooms devoted to the stuffed creations. And these designs are pretty cute, and I'm happy that she has a hobby. I buy her new Squishmallow sometimes when I'm at the store. I sell them pretty much everywhere now, but they used to be more difficult to find. When I tried to figure out what Christine wanted for her birthday, I got the impression that she wanted a particular Squishmallow. She hinted at it, not outright asking. Finding a specific Squishmallow isn't always easy, since some are more rare than others. Apparently the most uncommon ones sell for as high as $2,000. Luckily she didn't want one of those. The one she wanted looked like a big black spider with a weird smile, so I began looking online for it. None of the stores nearby had it, of course. That would have been too easy, but eventually I found a seller on eBay and purchased it, requesting the express shipping so the Squishmallow Spider would arrive before her birthday. They had a few other ones that looked particularly unique too, so I bought them as well. They were all a little creepy looking, but that was okay, since Christine loves horror and creepy shit, just like I do. Time went by and eventually the package arrived. I didn't unbox the stuffed animals, instead just wrapped up the cardboard box they'd come in. When her birthday came around, I showed Christine the big wrapped box and a huge smile stretched across her face. The present was massive, covered in squishmallow wrapping paper. I watched as she unwrapped it, practically vibrating with excitement. She gasped when she saw the size of one of them. You got the 24 inch one? Where did you find it? A magician never reveals his secrets. Is that the one you wanted? She looked at it and inspected it more closely. 
and I saw her expression drop, and the smile disappeared. What? What is it? Is it not the right one? Christine began to turn the stuffed animal around. I could tell that she was disappointed, but I didn't understand why. She'd never been a great gift receiver and never showed a big reaction, but I thought this time that I'd really nailed it, and I thought that she'd be ecstatic. Um, it's great, was all that she said at first, but I could tell that she was disappointed. What? What is it? This sucks to say. I know you probably worked hard on it, but it's fake, she said, standing up and carrying the large stuffed animal over to me with an annoying know-it-all smile. I saw someone talking about these online. There's no tag, and see this little marking? I'm sorry. It's a knockoff. It's cute, though, and I still like it. And I could tell that she didn't. Taking it out of her hands, I examined it closely. I hadn't thought about the details much at the time of purchase, but she was right. Usually the toys came with a large tag telling their story, and it looked a little bit strange too, not cute like the regular ones. This one was creepy looking, with a sharp, jagged toothed smile. Hey, um, can you check the other ones? I asked, feeling a little sick to my stomach. I bought a few more. Oh no, how much did you pay for all these? She asked. Not much, I lied. She took them out of the box and started examining them. A creepy skeleton, a green ghost, a witch, and a black owl with glowing white eyes stared up at her. The longer I looked at them, the more obvious it became that they weren't right. Their proportions were all wrong. Their faces malevolent and mean. They were actually disturbing looking. There was loose stitching and a few stains here and there on them. One of the stains was brownish red, like old, dried blood. They're great. Thank you. My wife stuttered awkwardly. I like them, really. I'll put them up there with the others on the shelf. You don't have to do that. I can contact the seller on eBay and I'll get a refund and I'll get you the real ones. No, no, it's fine. My wife insisted, putting them up with the rest of her collection. They're kind of quirky. It's alright. Don't worry about it. She kissed me on the cheek and smiled weakly. I love them. Really. Weeks passed and nothing much really happened with the Squishmallows. They sat there on the shelf, gathering dust, and my wife didn't take them down to play with them or even look at them. It was further proof to me that... It was further proof to me that she didn't like them as much as the others and I couldn't blame her. It wasn't just that they were knockoffs. They were downright disturbing. I noticed that she was tucking them further and further towards the back, hiding them behind the others. I was quietly glad for that, since they creeped me out, and every time I walked by the shelf they caught my eye. The big black spider was particularly unsettling for some reason, and its dull, vacant glass eye always felt like it was watching me. Its spindly arms always seemed to be waving at me slightly in the breeze. One night, when I was up late watching TV, I saw something moving on the ceiling in the hallway. Those black, glassy eyes reflected back at me, catching a hint of glow from the television screen. Whatever it was blended with the shadows and crawled away, disappearing into the darkness. I couldn't make out the details, but I got the impression of a huge black spider, its body a bloated, sagging orb as large as beach balls. 
my heart beating fast. I turned on all the lights, searching the apartment for whatever I thought I saw. After finding no trace of it, I redoubled my efforts, feeling like I couldn't be safe again until I found out whatever the thing was. I eventually went to the shelf and looked at the spider I'd purchased for Christine. I stared at it for a long, long time. Its smile looked like it had grown even wider than before, and looked very pleased with itself. I decided I would contact the seller, regardless of what Christine thought, and ask for a refund. More than anything, I just wanted those things out of my house. After typing out a message, I hit send. I waited for days, but there was no reply. There's no indication the message had even been seen. The return address on the package indicated that the seller lived in the city at least, and I decided to drive to the house to knock on the door. I was tired of people taking advantage of me, tired of strangers online who thought that they could get away with robbing and cheating innocent people. In case you hadn't guessed already, this was not the first time that I'd been swindled by an online bargain. There was the whole Instagram fiasco. Don't even get me started on the laptop I bought from Wish.com. The house was on the other end of town, across the river. A bridge separated the west side of Hollywood's End from the rest of town, and I usually avoided going over there, since I had a few bad experiences on that side of the city. But this time I figured I'd make an exception. When I pulled up outside the house, I saw it was dark outside, except for a flickering light in one room. Probably the living room judging by its location near the front of the house, with a big picture window overlooking the front lawn. I went up to the front door and knocked, carrying the huge box full of knockoff squishmallows in my arms. Their weight seemed to shift and change, as if they were alive inside the sealed box, and I imagined a knife or a sharp claw suddenly slicing through the packing tape at the top, and the squishmallow spider and all of its friends clamoring out and attacking me. But of course that didn't happen. This was real life, and not Chucky 7, Revenge of the Satanic Squishmallows. Still, and the flashing lights coming through the window in sporadic bursts reminded me in an unsettling way of Poltergeist, or some other horror movie whose name I had forgotten. I knocked again, louder this time. No answer. Someone was definitely home though. The flashing lights and noises from inside told me as much. I leaned the box against the door for a second, just to give myself a break since it was so awkward, when I noticed that the door was swinging open by itself. Whether it was just poorly latched or whether someone had opened it, I wasn't sure, but I couldn't see anyone inside. All I could see was darkness, and I thought I heard someone speaking up from ahead in another room. Thinking they might be telling me to come inside, I pushed the door open further and took a tentative step through the entryway. My heart hammering fast. Hello? I called out. Is anyone there? The voice continued speaking up ahead, getting faster now, more emotional. It was a man and he sounded desperate. It sounded like he was pleading for his life. Taking slow steps forward, I walked deeper into the house. I didn't even notice when the door quietly clicked shut behind me and locked itself. As I got closer to the room with the glowing, flashing lights I'd seen from outside, I realized it was the same room where I heard the voice speaking. It sounded even more desperate now. Please, I'll do anything. I'm sorry. A whispering voice spoke back to him. It sounded like it was talking in another language. It sounded angry. 
demanding. The box in my hand suddenly began to rattle and shake violently and it sounded like something was stabbing the cardboard box from inside. Something sharp cut my palm and I dropped the box, crying out in pain. My rational mind was telling me that it was a staple and that the box wasn't moving by itself. There was simply something inside that had tipped off balance. Stuffed animals don't come to life. That doesn't happen. Whatever this is, it isn't happening. Who's there? The voice shouted, with no choice now except to come clean. I announced my presence. Hey, sorry, I, I didn't mean to sneak in. Your door was open and I heard voices in here. I bought some squishmallows from you online and everything happened all at once after that. I went through the doorway and as I did I saw the portal in the center of the living room, glowing blue and flashing. It was swirling and pulsating with light, hidden behind clouds that were being blown around violently in a vortex. I took a step forward with something crawling out of the portal on all fours. It looked horrifying and wrong. It was bleeding and appeared injured. Its alien face twisted in a mask of rage and pain. It's difficult to explain what it looked like exactly, because it didn't resemble anything from this world. The closeted comparison would be a hairless hyena crossbreed with a goblin. As it scrambled out from the portal, it shook the blood from its haunches, like a dog coming in from the rain, splattering the wall and ceiling of the room with gore. A voice in the shadow spoke in the same strange language and the creature began to change. It was a shapeshifter, I realized, and it was taking on the form of things I could see in the living room. For the first time, I noticed the squishmallows. With all the chaos happening and in the flickering darkness of the room, I hadn't seen them at first. Now I noticed them and they were impossible to ignore. The squishmallows were everywhere. The walls were covered with them, shelves had been installed going from floor to ceiling on every wall in the living room, and they were filled with the trendy stuffed toys, ranging in bright yellows, oranges, and reds, to black Halloween themed ones like the ones I had in my box. The only difference was, these were real, and they weren't knockoffs. All of the squishmallows were splattered with blood though, completely ruined now. Copious layers of dried blood could be seen in various places through the room, coating everything. You shouldn't have come here, the man said and I realized he was injured. He was clutching his face as red liquid seeped out from between his fingers. Looked like he had been trying to hold his face on. You shouldn't have come here, he shrieked at the top of his lungs. Leave, run, before they take your fucking body. I spun around and... My heart beating so hard it was threatening to burst from my chest, and I saw the box which I had been holding was now bursting open, the massive black spider calling out, climbing out of the box and making its way straight at me. It raced across the floor like a wolf spider, clampering up my leg and releasing a fine spool of webbing behind it. The thing made its way around my legs in circles, attempting to tie me up while I screamed and kicked, thrashing and batting at it with my fists. More of those hairless goblin hyena creatures were crawling around out of the portal, looking like they were straight out of a Dark Souls game. Bloodied and howling in agony, they pulled themselves through the gateway and shook themselves off, just as the previous one had done. However they were getting here, only one or two were able to come through at a time, and at great cost to themselves. The alien voice spoke again from the shadows and this time, the creatures coming from the portal didn't change shape right away. Instead, 
They came at me, crawling at first, attempting to rise to their feet, but unable to. They made their way faster and faster towards me. You need to run, the man said weakly, his face a bloodied ruin. He took his hands away and the skin falling to the floor like a Halloween mask. Blood poured out and ran across his neck, soaking his white shirt. He grabbed the spider squishmallow from my pants and tore it free from me while it hissed and tried to bite him. I saw it puncture the skin with several quick attacks and he dropped it to the floor. The massive spider skittered away, disappearing into the shadows. His hand rapidly swelled with unknown poisons. The man attempted to free me from the spiderweb I was wrapped up in. His flesh ballooned and yellow pus began to seek out of the sores as he struggled to remain conscious. Finally, I was free. I didn't dare to turn around to see how close those things were from the portal. I could hear them and knew that they were close enough to almost reach out and grab me. One of their bloody fingers brushed against my leg and I just evaded its grasp, bolting for the exit. When I reached the door, it was locked. A key was required to open it, which I didn't have and I knew I was fucked. Except for that picture window in the living room, this was my only shot right back into the lion's den. The bloodied, crawling, goblin, hyena things were just at my heels and my heart skipped a beat when I saw them coming at me. I was cornered in the entryway of the house with nowhere to go. And once again, the man came to my rescue, his face a bloodied, soaking mask of muscle tissue. He screamed as he lifted a chair from the living room and hurled it through the air, where it landed with a heavy crash on top of one of the creatures. The other one was stunned momentarily, just long enough for me to leap over it and race back into the living room. I ran through the darkness and heard the gasp of the man who had saved me when he saw what I was about to do. No! But it was too late. I leapt through the huge picture window and it shattered against the top of my skull. The pain of the impact was far worse than anything I could have imagined. Broken glass rained down all around me as I landed on the grass in a heap clutching my bloodied scalp. Scrambling to my feet, I began to run, too terrified to look back. The screams of outrage coming from the house were surprising and confusing to say the least. I didn't understand why the guy who had saved my life was so mad all of a sudden. It wasn't until I got home and looked in my email again, this time taking a moment to look at the spam folder, that I realized that the man had actually gotten back to me. The day I sent my email, he'd replied almost immediately. My sincerest apologies for the mix-up. Those toys were not meant to be sent out, and I would be more than happy to replace them with the correct toys. Please send them back to me immediately. I'm concerned that they may be hazardous due to the material that they were made with. I need to keep them contained. I need to keep them here. I'll sell you all in my collection to survive, if I have to. But they cannot know that there is a world outside of this house. I must contain them. You must send them back to me now. Be very careful until you do. Do not trust them. Do not be in darkness with them. They love, love, love the darkness. That's, that's where, that's when it's where they thrive. It's where they've been afraid, but afraid, bad, 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 Shuddering, I closed the email. I didn't delete it. Worried I might need it one day. For what purpose, I didn't know. But one thing is for sure. The man who sold me those knockoff squishmallows had the situation contained. The shapeshifters, the living toys, 
He found a way to convince them that that was it that existed on that side of the portal. He convinced them that his house was our entire world. And then I shattered his window and let those things into our world. <laughs>